This is Local Color, a Baltimore podcast, a show dedicated to Baltimore's black artists, entrepreneurs, and social innovators using their talents to make Baltimore a better place. I'm your host, Jason V, and on the show today, Emmy Award-winning digital artist and animator Tanisha Foreman. Tanisha is a graduate of the Maryland Institute College of Art, and we talk about their experience building a robust portfolio, the tools they use to bring their creations to life, and how grit, networking, and a good bit of luck gave them opportunities working for the biggest names in media like Netflix and Adult Swim. We're almost at the end of 2021. Last year, at the end of 2020, we hoped COVID would be in the rear view by now, and well, it's not. In the last year, there were numerous reports about the negative impact of the pandemic on our mental health, specifically the quarantining and isolation of a species that thrives in groups and cherishes interactions with others. When you were cooped up in your house or apartment or back home with your parents, you couldn't see friends and you couldn't see some family members. We were forced to limit our exposure to other humans to, quote, stop the spread. I'm sure there are some of you out there that snuck out now and again to see someone or maybe Mima and Pop Pop came over to the house when they shouldn't have. But the point is, we crave that human interaction and we can't stand to be without it. When we can't get that interaction, we find new ways to cope and use substitutes. Legendary video game designer Hideo Kojima has said in interviews that growing up in Japan as a latchkey kid, when he got home from school, he'd immediately turn on the TV to full volume to stave off his feelings of loneliness as he waited for his parents to come home. It's a practice he still employs today when he travels and stays in hotels by himself. TV and media wrapped him in the warm embrace of human interaction, even if it was simulated. Similar to Mr. Kojima, we wrapped ourselves in familiar embraces to keep us sane during the quarantine of 2020, like Netflix, Hulu, Amazon Prime Video. Podcasting also experienced explosive growth with tens of thousands listening for the first time, and it seems like everyone and their dog is starting a podcast now, but that's a different story. My point is, media plays a huge role in our life. When a show, movie, or podcast is over, we usually turn it off once the credits start rolling. But the credits are exactly that. It's the credit due to the writers, directors, and creators that made it happen. For visual media, designers and artists receive the shine because, well, Rick and Morty wouldn't hit the same if it was a radio serial. We should be thanking them for saving us during this pandemic. Thanking people like Tynesha Foreman. Tynesha is from the military town of Norfolk, Virginia, and I know this show is about Baltimore's black artists. Lately, though, I have been thinking about the creators and folks in the DMV as a whole. Some listeners may not consider Baltimore part of the DMV, but understand the DMV itself is just part of the larger Baltimore-Washington metro area. So we're going to be here whether you like it or not. Anyway, Tynesha's formative years were spent in Norfolk, or the 757. It's like a smallish, it's a small, like, military-based town. It's also, like, just under sea level, so it's very, like, I don't know, it's very, growing up near the water, it's just something about growing up near the water that just brought everybody together, kind of. My... Uh, brother-in-law he mm-hmm. lived down in Norfolk for a little bit and he did work on I think the Navy base there so is a lot of your family in the armed forces how how, how much did like military life and culture influence your childhood right so man that's like anytime I talk to somebody that's from the same area or from a Nate like a militaryish town it's always like a complicated situation because it's kind of you get the camaraderie of like knowing what it's like to grow up in a military town, but also like 
it being in your face a lot comes with a lot of like oh it comes with a little bit of baggage in terms of my family my dad was in the military and he's been he basically was in the military since after he got to school um and I had a couple family members um join the military too the biggest thing the biggest thing that I take away is that we all like know like know the feeling of like having the pressure of it being a military military town like kind of ingrained in your your growing up so we all kind of have that like yep ROTC yep you know <laughs> not to not to this but like yeah, it's like yep the military ain't shit a little bit <laughs> <laughs> and just to clarify you said that your dad had joined the military when you were leaving school no, my, my dad had like had been since he left school was in the military. Oh, so, like, okay. Getting back to uh, growing up in Norfolk and mm -hmm. your, I guess, experience with the military culture and stuff, mm -hmm. uh, especially with your one of your parents being in the military. Mm -hmm. Were you mm -hmm. educated on the military base or did you just go to a regular public school? Uh, I would say I went to a regular public school. Um like my dad was he was in the military but he was only in there for only a few years because he got medically discharged it was kind of like having the having people having the familial situation but also like all your friends know somebody who knows somebody in the military kind of thing so but it was just a regular public school um the biggest thing was just having that camaraderie because either you knew kids that like with parents will move to, uh, to different bases and stuff like that. How would you rate your school experience overall, like from elementary school through high school? Because uh, I know a little bit about Virginia and really the Norfolk area. So mm -hmm. could you just talk to me about your um, your school experience? Oh, gosh, it's so hard to like, like distill it into one thing. But um, I would say it's a mixed bag. It's very interesting because like, at least in the areas that I was growing up in Norfolk, like there was this, like, like nor like this, like Hampton Roads in general has its like pot definitely has its pockets of art, like the um the Chrysler Museums over there and stuff like that, and they got like you know a lot of art programs. But at the same time, it was like I think the big thing that that area was pushing was STEM. Mm -hmm. So like, you know, when I was in uh in middle school there were a lot of like robotics programs and like stem programs and stuff and it, it was just an interesting dichotomy because you had that like heavy push of stem and i think it makes sense because a lot of people would be in some sort of like you know school military situation and then you know go into the military and then would use that schooling to get into stem kind of thing um but there was still this like significant population or at least maybe it's a little colored by my bias just because you know you you're around the people that are like you but there was also very much a like artistic culture in that area too hmm. and how did your parents respond to that as far as you or um if you have any siblings were they hmm. trying to push stem on y'all as well well i think I feel very lucky in the sense that like my family is very like into the arts. My dad was very into like the visual arts and music arts and stuff. And my mom was very into visual arts. Um, I would say that I, I can at least account for my mom. My mom was 
very supportive of me as a kid um, getting into the arts. Um, I like when I was younger, you know, you know, you're a kid, there's like those little art competitions and stuff. My, my mom would always like know when those was happening and would like inform me of that stuff. Um, I also, at least the boys, like, you know, I went to the boys and girls club and they had, they were, at least in my memory, um, they were pretty good about introducing that, you know, kind of like pushing you to go to those like art programs and art competitions and stuff like that. So I would say that I feel very lucky that I had a supportive community and specifically like my mom and those, those people around her were very supportive of me, like pursuing that. Mm, okay. And, and do you have any siblings or is it just you? I have a little brother. He's like three years younger than me. Oh, gotcha. And what was that like? Do you feel like they were super supportive for both of you in whatever endeavors, or it was mostly like the art stuff is fine, uh, but we still kind of want you to like try to pursue something um, in the in like the STEM related field? Like, did they treat mm -hmm. art as like a hobby, or did they see it as something that could become a career? Uh, you know, I would say that. I would say that they were pretty supportive of art being seen as a career. Um, it's hard, right? Because my mom went to like community college and stuff. And that was kind of the first touch of like education beyond that kind of point. Mm -hmm. So I feel like my brothers and I's like kind of generation is the first time to be, to really even think about that as a viable thing, you know, gosh, I would say that at least for, I can account for me that like my mom was like, if y'all know what y'all doing in regards to this kind of stuff, go all for it, you know? And I gotta be honest, I feel like there was a part of me when I was younger, you, you know, when you in like middle school and they kind of do this, like kind of plan out your career thing, you know what I'm saying? I feel like my mom saw that I was animate, adamant that like, yeah, I can make money off of doing art somehow because I did a lot of research I remember that project specifically because I wasn't sure as a kid, right? Like, to be completely honest with you, like, I was like, okay, like, I'm definitely into this art thing. I would love to do this career, but I don't know where to start with that. So, you know, I was taking all the honor programs stuff and just being like, well, whatever lands, I guess. But when I started doing research at that point, I was like, okay, like, this is a skill set. This is something that people need skill labor for. So like, I'm gonna see if I can do something with that. And my mom saw that I wasn't playing about it. <laughs> uh, so when you were in high school and finishing up high school, uh, I guess like through, I guess, junior and senior year, when you started to look at colleges and stuff like that, um, <clears throat> did you, were you only like focused on going to MICA? Cause I, I do want you to talk about your experience at MICA, sure. but uh, I also want to know, were you only focused on going to that school? Did you think about going to like an HBCU like Hampton or, or Howard or even Morgan or something like that? Like what was your thought process as mm -hmm. it pertains to life after high school or, or going to college, but also wanting to focus on art? Oh, man, I, I think, well, I can say like from high school, um, I got lucky enough to get into an art program, like kind of like a magnet school that would happen after regular school um, called the Governor's School for the Arts Program. I didn't even know that. <laughs> I didn't even know they had colleges in which you could study 
art. So I'll be completely honest, like I didn't really get game knowledge into, into that space until like late junior year or like mid junior year of like high school. I was like, oh, you can actually, <laughs> you can actually go to college for this kind of thing. You know, before then I was like, okay, there's apprenticeships or like, you know, you can work at a studio or something or like interning, but I didn't even know you could like get uh, that it was like that it could be a part of the higher education uh, pipeline. So um, there were a couple places that I were considering that I was considering when I was getting ready to try to go to college. Um, our, I was definitely looking into RVA. Uh, I was looking, I looked at Micah, I looked at Cal Arts and stuff like that. If I could be completely honest, I wasn't really picky that much. You know what I'm saying? Like, I was mm. like, I think my main thing was just like, who's going to give me the most scholarships that I can feasibly like travel to? Like, I think that was the biggest thing on my mind is just like me being able to afford to live wherever I go to school. And like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and uh, being able to you know, feasibly afford going to that kind of school. I have this distinct memory, you know, you're in junior year or senior year of high school and they're like, okay, like what, what colleges and stuff are you looking at? And I didn't really have an answer till senior year. And, you know, I brought up, like, I brought up RVA, I brought up Micah, I brought up uh, RISD and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. And <laughs> it's, I'm probably exaggerating this because, you know, memory changes when you get older, but I remember my guidance counselor in high school was just like, yeah, you probably should just try to stay at a, you know, take a couple courses at a community college and not to like down community college. Like I don't really give a shit about like where you actually go, but I do distinctly remember that the kind of the tone of my guidance counselor was just like, I, I both have memory of them not really understanding me pursuing a career that has artistic skill need and I remember them being like there are no colleges you know what I'm saying like a lot of the research and trying to find a school I had to do completely on my own you know what I mean like oh yeah I see <laughs> honestly like me looking back at it now part mm -hmm. of it was my kind of own similar to what you were saying, like I wasn't mm -hmm. super picky about what college that I went to, but looking mm -hmm. back, I wish I was more picky, mm -hmm. but I also mm -hmm. wish that really, I wish that my guidance counselors were honest with me the way it seems like yours might have been with you. Like it probably mm -hmm. would have been a whole different experience with me if my guidance counselor was like, just go to like, take a few community college courses, mm -hmm. figure out what you want to do and then kind of go from there. Um, mm -hmm. But overall, I, I think based off of what you're saying, really mm -hmm. what it came down to is you doing that research on your own and, mm -hmm. um, and you, and you landed on Micah. So let's, yeah. let's talk about that. What was your experience attending Micah? Did you have any type of culture shock living in Baltimore coming from Norfolk? Um, it, it, it's, it's funny because Baltimore is also kind of a Harbor town, like right next to the water type stuff. So like the actual city itself, Mm -hmm. did not fill out a place for me you know what I'm saying like okay there 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 weren't the I was honestly excited because I went around there I'm like okay they cool they got like this the, the culture of the place I can get behind I think the thing that was kind of shocking for me was that like where I went was a PWI and mm. I was like I think that was kind of the culture shock for me because 
um, to backtrack a little bit, um, you know, to get a little personal, like I was very like awkward kid, didn't have that many friends. And then like, I moved to Virginia Beach. Like I went from living in Norfolk where predominantly black kids. And then like in my adult, like around eighth grade, moving to like more predominantly white area, like Virginia Beach of, of the 757 Virginia Beach is like the hoity-toity-ish area. Mm. And, you know, I, it's not that anything really happened. We just like, my mom just found a job in Virginia Beach. So we just moved there mm-hmm. and it was predominantly white space. But when I went to the Mammoth School, I was able to find other Black people to be in community with kind of thing. So like, I was hoping that I'd be like, okay, cool. I, I'm, I'm able to find this community and I'm finding Micah too. But I think the culture shock for me was more that, oh my God, all these kids that go to this art school are freaking loaded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was definitely more the culture shock, I think, for me was like the the class culture slot like I really vibe with the area of Baltimore in general in terms of like everything else around there but my actual peers there was few and far between that I think had had that similar kind of experience like of course I still was able to find like my people and stuff like that but that I think was more of the shop (laughs) that I did that took me a while to get used to yeah I and I think you bring up a good point in terms Mm -hmm. of just the black community in general, I, I, I can definitely agree or I can definitely say that a lot of the conversations we have surround race a lot because at the end of the day, like I can't change the way I like my skin looks. But I think a conversation that perhaps we should start having more is a conversation about class because, you know, like like it or not, not all black people are created equal. We might be treated equally in the eyes of like the law or other, you know, non-black people or maybe even some mm-hmm. black people. But mm-hmm. I think the issue of class is one that we might be kind of afraid to talk about and it mm-hmm. might be, you know, at a, at, a, at a detriment to us. So I find it interesting that that was the biggest culture shock for you. And I had the same thing because I, I went to school in uh, Connecticut for a year and a half and mm-hmm. I was, I was just like completely astounded at, mm-hmm. yeah, like how wealthy these mm-hmm. white kids were. Like this was back mm-hmm. when I went to college in, um, from 2007 to 2011. Mm-hmm. So that was back when like the iPhone had first come out and like I would hear right. stories about kids who would like be throwing their iPhones into the woods and then their parents would buy them another one. I'm like, your parents didn't beat your ass for the, yeah, yeah it was crazy. That is like, so specific. It was just like, yeah, I'm just going to get this lost. Well, we're going in the woods, who cares? <laughs> and that's, that's exactly what it was. Like at, after a certain point, the parents were just like, okay, wh- whatever. I like, I'll literally just, I will literally throw money at my child to make this problem go away. And I'm like, oh, well, that's why all these kids are like low key fucked up because they just have had access to just money had given them access to things so frequently at such a young age that they just take everything for granted. And really after a certain point, I was just like, I don't really, I really don't feel like I fit in here. Like on one hand, it was me being at like a PWI. And I mean, Connecticut is like probably one of the whitest places. (laughs) That's where they make white people. (laughs) Basically like, um, but then also, honestly, again, Mm -hmm. you know, when we talk about this thing, like this conversation of black people in class, I went to school with a lot of black kids from 
like New York and New Jersey and uh, and like Boston. And some of those kids were also very wealthy, but mm -hmm. I just like could not connect with them because they thought like me coming from Baltimore, well, first me coming from Baltimore, they were just like, oh God, the wire, blah, blah, blah. But then also the fact that like to them, I had like a very heavy accent. They thought that I was like from the middle of bumfuck nowhere and like didn't <laughs> like understand how the world work. I'm like, I have like running water and electricity. <laughs> like y'all don't have to talk down to me uh, <laughs> this much. That's the thing, right? Like, when not to get too distracted but like the conversations on class right and like of course you got you got to preface with it just like you know we all fight this white supremacist situation but the thing with class too is that there is the the idea of like attaining or proximity to whiteness with the class thing right like because mm -hmm. that's what is kind of valued in those conversations you know or, you know what I mean I know there's definitely some internalized like respectability politics within my work ethic when I was going to school, but you know I would always like look at some of my peers and specifically the like white rich peers and I'm just like y'all not coming up to class these classes are like four thousand dollars <laughs> like for half a, for one semester yeah. like, what's happening and to kind of bring it back like. There are a lot of things that I'm grateful for to that school for. And I would say primarily like Baltimore definitely had a strong sense of like, this is Baltimore. This is the art we produce in Baltimore. You know what I'm saying? Like, mm. I think that is something that I was able to pick up on when I was like able to actually find my spaces in that, in, you know, in those places, like there was very much that feeling of like this is the work we produce here and I really appreciated that about being there you know what I mean yeah I, I could see that I think for me I mm -hmm. might be too close to it as like being somebody mm -hmm. from Baltimore I'm like mm -hmm. I like I couldn't describe to somebody like I could mm -hmm. talk to somebody about Baltimore club music but mm -hmm. they would say especially you know in this case with you you're like well I'm mm -hmm. from Norfolk mm -hmm. and this is how how y'all do stuff uh in Baltimore but mm. for me, I'm just like, I mean, yeah, that's just that's just kind of what we do. That's, that's just kind of what it is kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, it's hard. It's like when you're we live, but they're like and I definitely understand what you're saying. Like when you're so close to the situation, it doesn't feel like a thing. It just feels like that's how it is. And not until I got older and I kind of like talk to other people that are from <laughs> from where around where I grew up from the DMV in general, I guess. And then you'd be like oh yeah, I know about that. And oh yeah, I know about that. And I didn't really realize that these were parts of where I'm from, you know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So yeah. like, yeah, it's definitely that feeling of that. Um, there's a lot of things I'm grateful for going to art school for, um, primarily like, you know, the connections in terms of like, make, like making a community uh, community and like, the resources I was available to, but you know, it's, it's still a private institution. So there's like, it's complicated feelings. You know what I mean? Oh, I, I definitely do. I went to um, a PWI and it was a private school. I went to Stevenson mm -hmm. university. So mm -hmm. uh, I get it. But for me, I was a commuter student. So at the end mm -hmm. of the day, I lived like a half hour away from the school. So I would always go back home. Um, yeah. And like for me, as somebody who lived in Baltimore, I get mm -hmm. Micah just was, yeah, it was just like the art institution that mm -hmm. we were, um, 
that we were known for. So I, I do have another question about your experience at Micah. Um, when we first started the conversation and you had introduced mm -hmm. yourself, your pronouns were they, them. And mm -hmm. for me, and please mm -hmm. like correct me if I'm wrong, mm -hmm. does that signify mm -hmm. that you, uh, what's, what's the word I'm looking for? Like, would do you like present yourself as non-binary? Oh uh, man, that's a complicated thing. Me personally, I, mm -hmm. I find presenting never been a huge thing for me. I think my coming to where I feel about non-binary is, is like feeling disconnected from gender in general, like sure. as a concept. And I think that is the most important for me. Like, don't get me wrong. There's a, there are times when it wanes and I'm just like, I feel like presenting uh, androgynously, you know what I'm saying? And some, and that gives me euphoric feelings. And then there's times where me not presenting, not giving the, you know, not under, uh, not trying to present any kind of way gives me that euphoric feeling. So like, yeah, I think that's the, the understanding that part of transness, a part of being non-binary is just, it's, it's understanding that it's, it varies from person to person in terms of like how you feel mm -hmm. about that and like that you know it, it it's about kind of at least I can say for me personally because again it varies for person but me personally it's it's understanding that I don't feel strong feelings towards identifying towards any gender kind of thing Okay. And I, I appreciate you explaining that. And please, if I said something that was like incorrect or offensive, please let me know. But uh, to bring it back to going to Micah, because I understand that at an art school, the idea of just really like gender and sexuality and stuff like that is, uh, it, could, it could be seen as a stereotype, but in art school, like, I feel like those conversations would take place at an earlier time than another type of school. Um, did you develop that consciousness about yourself during your time at Micah or was it before or was it after? Those conversations were definitely had at Micah for sure. Or I, I get what you mean, right? In terms of the stereotype of an art school being more like stereotypically seeming like a place where the conversations of queerness can be a little bit more out in the open, right? Yeah, yeah. And um, I definitely approached those part of my life. Like, I'll be completely honest with you. Um, I wasn't like, I, it's one of those things where you're not conscious of it until like you meet other people that can openly say like these things. Right. And like, you know, you're in college now and you're, you feel like you can start to be who you are kind of thing, or like try to try to ask who you are. <laughs> the funny thing is just a little off topic, but it's, it's funny looking back because I kind of got a taste of that in, in high school, going to a magnet art college where again, I'm around other artists. And the the wild thing is, is that like, I come back like 10 years later and all of us have like, and all of us are just like, yep, yep, I'm trans too. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> like maybe didn't know when we were in high school, but like understand now that we're adults. And like, I think there's, at least I could say for me, the thing about like being in an art school is I think art intrinsically to a lot of people at least is about expression. Yes. So I think a big part of like why people may at least have more conversations about queerness and gender queerness and sexuality and stuff like that is because that is supposed to be a, sa a, a space where it's safe to express things and expressing things makes you think about yourself a lot. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> 
Sure. So when you finished Micah and you graduated, uh, did you graduate with a like a graphic design degree or, or like digital media? Um, so my specific degree was animation. They, they were pretty broad. Animation as a major was relatively new, I think, at Micah. I think it had been around for like maybe four or five years before I had joined the program. Um, but yeah, I got out BFA in animation. Um, and that was primarily my study in like techniques of animation, like narrative parts of animation and things like that. You graduate, you get your degree in animation. How long was it from graduating until like you started getting steady animation right. work? How, how did that work out for you? Ooh, okay. Well, so, you know, I graduated with this degree and like to back it up a little bit, like a lot of the people that I know that like had were like snapped like that getting getting work had done internships. But the funny thing about internships is that it ain't cheap. <laughs> you know what I mean? And I'm not gonna lie to you, like there was a lot of internships I wanted to do in college, but would be in New York or would be mm. in LA. And it was no way that I could afford to like be in those places. So I graduated, I went back home and my idea was like, listen, I have a bit of a portfolio now, but I still want, I still need to make things. So honestly, I was like, I'm going to work part-time to save up money to get an internship somewhere else. Because the thing was, is that I, you know, I was only able to pay for me to live in Baltimore and go to school, but now I'm paying, I'm trying to save and pay to actually get an internship and start somewhere. So I would say I was working, you know, working a, a part-time job while also creating uh, more pieces for my portfolio for about six months. Um, and <laughs> even during those six months, I was cold emailing people like a motherfucker <laughs> and just saying like, hey, are y'all looking? Are y'all this? Are y'all that? And like, you know, also trying to see what would be more affordable for me to even go if I was able to get an internship. And I got my first internship at a studio called Slanted Studios located in Brooklyn. You know, I had saved up just enough to like crash at a, a friend I knew that lived in New Jersey's place. And that's kind of where it took off. Um, I was freelancing a little while after that. And then I was able to kind of just keep hopping until the work became steady and less frantic. <laughs> Can you give me a rundown of the hardware and the software that you use to create your pieces? Um, like I said, back when I was kind of toying with the idea of, mm -hmm. of being an artist and an animator, I used to use um, mm -hmm. Macromedia Flash or Adobe Flash to make animations. And OG. I, yeah, I would do it frame by frame. And mm -hmm. then I learned like about action scripting, but I, I never got good at it. So mm -hmm. as someone who does it in 2021, what's the hardware and software that you use? So primarily right now I'm used, I use After Effects. Um, I, I use that primarily for the character animations that I do because a lot of the character animation I do are like, you know, have a little bit faster turnaround. So like going, like doing more cell animation or frame by frame animation takes a little bit more time. So like, therefore, you know, 
those are a little, at least in, in my experience, um, I'm more often doing uh, digital animation in After Effects. Um, now that's not to say I don't do cell from time to time because with cell animation, I use, um, I use Adobe Animate, which used to be known as Flash, used to be known as my career Flash. <laughs> so I use Adobe Animate. Um, I occasionally use Photoshop. Um, I even use Procreate from time to time. Procreate has uh, recently come with like some animation tools, which are really good for like short effects animations and adding to stuff. If I were to say another one too, uh, what is it called? At least it's new to me. Uh, I clip paint studios that have mm -hmm. uh, animation tools, which I think to me right now are some of the most comprehensive ones that I enjoy in terms of like frame by frame animation. Um, so yeah, basically I dabble in all throughout the Adobe suite and I use clip paint studios and procreate. That's how I was uh, generally summed up. Okay, and do you use a tablet? How exactly do you draw your characters? So it's a combo of stuff. I use, I do have a Wacom tablet. If there's jobs in which I um, have to do like character design or, or um, illustration and then animate, <clears throat> I, uh, I use Procreate a lot. Um, I would use, excuse me, <clears throat> I would use um, Photoshop um, to do like cell animation or to do like character design and animation and use my Wacom tablet for that. But um, to be honest, lately I've been doing a lot of uh, original of the original artwork in, um, in Procreate. I will say the most recent project in which I completely drew everything in Procreate was um, I did a project um, for the Lincoln Jazz Center. And mm -hmm. it was kind of like the style was based on a lot of like um, uh, Harm Harlem Renaissance inspired uh, artwork. So I made like completely all of the artwork in Procreate. Then I brought it into After Effects and um, and then did the animating there. Um, that's a lot of what I've been using. And the uh, the iPad is really changing stuff up for artists right now. Oh, I see. So you're using Procreate, but you were you still drawing the stuff on an iPad? Yeah. So for for like a lot of Photoshop and like the Adobe Suite stuff um, is still primarily on desktop um, computers and, and laptops. So okay. that's so that I would use a uh, because I use PC that I would use a Wacom tablet for. But Procreate is like. I'm pretty sure it's exclusively on iPad. I'm not completely sure, but it's primarily used on the iPad. And so I started switching to drawing primarily on the, from, from the Wacom tablet. And now I'm drawing primarily in um, Procreate on the iPad. Oh, okay. I see. Yeah. When I did my animation, I did it all with a, with a mouse and um, it didn't, it wasn't great. Man, listen. You gotta use what you got. I'm I'm not gonna judge you either because like when I was starting <laughs> out, I was using a mouse too. I was like drawing with the line tool in in Flash. Um, I think actually one of my homies from high school uh, was able to um, was able to steal a, a Wacom <laughs> was able to steal a Wacom uh, tablet for me because I think their school had some old ones, but this one was like a little, it was like older model and jankier. So he was able to cop me one for, 
and that's how I was able to get into using the uh the um the the tablets but before then I was doing stuff on a mouse too it was either on a mouse or it was like with physical medium <laughs> I did not get to uh using a tablet until some would say later in my uh career honestly you sure. mentioned doing cell work and for mm-hmm. me as somebody who does who is like interested in animation and growing mm-hmm. up like all I really watched was cartoons mm-hmm. I know that from like you know, mm-hmm. like Looney Tunes, cell mm-hmm. work was you drawing on the transparent sheets on a light box. Is is that kind of translated to, to like digital work now? Is that the same thing? Yeah, well, so what people would call cell now is, it is, it's, it, it is kind of the same, except like, it's kind of like they digit, they just digitize, like, so using a transparent and using what you would call, um, what is it called? Ooh. I can't believe I'm forgetting the term. Uh, so like basically yeah, frame by frame kind of animation has translated uh, very well into um, digi- the digital space. I would say, again, Photoshop uses it. Clip Studio Paint uses it a lot. Um, mm-hmm. Still pro- popular to use. And even in like my line of work, you know, I work with motion design, which is a very diverse, has a lot of diverse art styles and yeah. they they still use the, uh, those techniques a lot. So my next question, this is more related to your work experience and, and like the building of your portfolio and stuff. Mm-hmm. In doing my research for you, I found mm-hmm. that you've done a lot of work for stuff like Netflix and, um, and Adult Swim. And mm-hmm. like you were saying with the Lincoln Jazz Center, and just from hearing your story about really the work that you had to do to get to the point where you are now, mm-hmm. how many of those opportunities would you attribute to just being in the right place at the right time? And how much of it was like you getting your portfolio out there and then people saying, hey, I see your stuff. Uh, let's do some work together. Oh, man. Um, not to sound corny, but it's a combo of stuff. But I, you know. I really do want to emphasize, though, that luck is a huge part of that stuff. But yeah, I, but, I'm sorry, I, I don't want to cut you off. But I, yeah. I think that people don't realize for like creative pursuits, how mm-hmm. much luck, luck is involved. Goes in. Yeah, they, <laughs> yeah. Like, they just don't get it. I think that's the thing. I well, I think when a lot of people talk about this stuff, of course, when you talk about your story, you want to you did work hard. You know what I'm saying? You want to talk about the hard work that goes into stuff. But I want to say specifically for the sector of stuff that I work in, it's knowing the right people. It's being like you said, being in the right place. And sometimes it's just luck. Sometimes you show up on somebody's portfolio list or sometimes, you know, a, a friend of a friend or a person that you worked with were like, hey, I know somebody that can do that, you know? I think a huge part of the connections I got, I will 100% contribute to the people that actually advocated for me and people who liked my work when I worked with them, you know what Mm. I mean? Like, I can trace, you know, if I was over here, like, you know, Charlie from It's Always Sunny, you know, I would have like a bunch of, (laughs) you know, points that are up from like connecting person to person to person from the very beginning of my career, basically, I could attribute to a person that knew a person that knew a person, you know, like, you know, and that's not to say that that I didn't try to put myself out, out there, you know, when I first started, I was just cold emailing people, you know what I mean? But Mm. like, I, I think it does a disservice, a disservice to not mention how much luck and 
and and uh, uh, networking is involved. I know everybody hates that word, but it's it's it really is about like who you know, and, and you know, it's an important conversation to have. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, my my follow up question for Adult Swim. I, I've been a fan of Adult Swim since mm-hmm. like the old days where the bumps mm-hmm. were the actual old people in the swimming pools. Um, <laughs> yes. What was it like doing work for them? And and did you get a chance to go to the studios in Atlanta? Um. So I worked primarily from home. Um. I I basically I would say that you know, I got the opportunity because I had been working for a while and then my stuff got out through that way. So I was, I was working at home and working with, uh, uh, with them. And, um, I, I'm, you know, I'm the same way adult swim was a huge influence, uh, for me growing up too, because it was kind of the first time, especially with like a lot of the bump programs and stuff, it was the first time that I kind of got a idea or a glimpse into independent animation and using mm. a lot of like weird, crazy techniques to make things. So, so yeah, like my, I would say working with them was pretty fun. You know what I'm saying? I, I how do I put it? I think what made it an interesting experience was how hands-off it was. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, it's hard to say how, at least in my experience, it's hard to say, how was it working for them? I was just like, I kind of just did my thing. And they were like, <laughs> oh, we like it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. It was pretty hands off, honestly, in, in what I was able to make with them. Oh, that's, that, that's cool. And yeah. when you finally got to that point where, you know, it was the big night and, mm-hmm. and the stuff that you worked on was actually mm-hmm. going to be on screen and be like on cable TV. What was mm-hmm. that night? Like, like, were you like super Man. pumped and you were like, everybody, you need to stay up until this exact time. <laughs> so you my shit. Man, I'm not going to lie. I was super, I was very like, to me, you know, as I get older, I'm like, you know, goals change, things shift. You learn a lot more things about the thing, uh, the industry you work in and you kind of, you know, you, you adjust. But I think that was a huge moment for me because that was one of the dreams that I had as a kid that actually came through. <laughs> you know what I mean? Not wow. to be dramatic about it, but like, you know, I was like, you know, 12, being a little bad, (laughs) being a little bad kid and like staying up to like 3 a.m. and seeing these weird animations and things to be like, man, I would love if something I made was able to be up there. And I'm not going to lie. I was like 100% like, y'all be up at, you know, be up at 1 a.m. to see this thing, please. And all this kind of thing. And honestly, it was a big moment of pride for me because I think, you know, they influence a lot of my work in terms of like, you know, I grew up with a lot of interest in like independent animations and, and, and like kind of horror and like weird films and stuff like that. So to kind of see that all culminate into me being able to release something, release an, an adult swim bump that kind of feels like something I made, it it was it was a big moment for me. It was definitely a high, <laughs> definitely a highlight. <laughs> you know? That's good. That's good. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't want to continue that theme of talking about uh, big moments and opportunities, but kind of the darker side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, do you 
feel like you still have to fight your own imposter syndrome when opportunities come up and and getting back to what we were saying before mm -hmm. about your uh your identity and such mm -hmm. especially nowadays do mm -hmm. you feel like sometimes you only get these opportunities because you quote check all of the boxes in this world of of woke politics yeah, of of like <laughs> of like here's what i'll say right like i think i got like i, I hate when the the gosh this is such a complicated thing to talk on because like okay i'll start by saying like I knew I was aware of like the tokenism that came into a lot of work that I made, right? I was mm -hmm. aware of like, you know, the irony in doing these pieces that like center like black trauma and it's like, oh, we're learning so much about these things. And like, not to say that stuff, knowing that stuff isn't important, but it gets exhausting when like you as a black person kind of have to dredge all that stuff up and doing that, knowing that a lot of these people behind these, you know, companies and stuff are trying to put on a facade of, you know, of progressiveness, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. And I think in all of us being home for like two years, a lot of us specifically, you can speak to Black artists and Black queer artists and stuff, were getting very, you know, getting, it, it was all becoming too much because there was this influx of that work and it became very obvious that people were doing this, to do, like, you know, doing these things for optics. I had the fortune of like having worked in this industry for enough time that like, you know, people that I can say no to things, I guess, you know what I'm saying? Like I've, I've had enough time to work in these industries to understand like, you know, it's like, you know what? I don't feel like being re-traumatized. I'm not going to take this, this work. You know what I mean? But I still understand that many of us black folks, black queer folks and stuff still have to have to take on this, this work and have to, and understand that our, uh, our identities are kind of being abused or not, not even kind of, are definitely being, you know, abused and used. And it's, it's tiresome. You know, that's all I can really say coming out of that. You know what I mean? It gets, it gets tiresome after a while. On one hand, you get tired of having to explain to people like mm -hmm. what a microaggression is or why it's <laughs> not okay to just randomly touch my hair. But then mm -hmm. at the same time, you're like, I can't fault somebody for not knowing what they don't know, because me as a black person in my journey of, for lack of a better phrase, like getting woke or having that awakening, like I wanted people to have grace for me of mm -hmm. like not knowing what I didn't know really about what it truly meant to be black and mm -hmm. be a person in that, in that, um, in that culture. But yeah, mm -hmm. sometimes I like, we'll have opportunities or stuff like that. And I'm just mm -hmm. like, is this because I'm actually good at what I'm doing or is right, it because they just yeah. want like a black face on there to say like, yeah, we're practicing our cosmetic diversity, but we're still not actually going to give like, yeah, exactly. people any opportunities like we just right. we just needed your face for the day and now that yeah. we got what we wanted you know fuck off yeah no for sure like it, it's it definitely plays into the imposter syndrome you know and like you can even you can even take that as far back to um 
to schooling and like trying to train for that kind of thing you know what I'm saying and like being like am I you know am I just feeling fulfilling some kind of like quota and this that, and the other all, all I can say for things that can help like with those moments is like surrounding yourself with people that are like you that can advocate for you mm-hmm. things got a lot easier to handle because when you're in these industries and like specifically in the art industry because there's a lot of ways to exploit people that have art as a as a skill set you know what I mean yeah so things got a lot more palatable and like easy to deal with for me when I was able to find community and other people that like shared the identities with me you know what I mean things got a lot easier for me because you knew that there were people that knew that you knew kind of knew where you were going through you know what I mean? That can still like advocate and stand up for you in that way. You know what I mean? So you talked about mm. your interest in like independent art and mm. and and like horror uh, movies and 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 stuff like that. And then doing my research for this interview, I was looking at like your Instagram feed, and a mm. lot of your art has been these like grotesque interpretations of house pets and even in your profile you describe yourself as a a gross negro making gross negro art um so what is it about like twisted and frightening imagery and just kind of that kind of stuff that piques your interest oh man i i think how do i put it i always look back to this moment when i was a kid uh not to make shit dramatic, but I always look back at this moment as a kid and, you know, I was just starting to like draw and just starting to kind of choose things to draw to really be like, I'm going to draw this or I see this thing and I want to draw it. Right. And uh, one of my earlier memories of things to draw, I was like at my grandma house and I was outside on her front yard and I saw across the street, this like dead rat kind of thing and it was kind of scary because you're a kid and you can't you don't really process that type of stuff but in trying to process that kind of thing I drew a picture of it and you know what I'm saying and a being able to express that way really connected with me so I think my connection to that and understanding that I can express myself through art with that like first weird gross moment of like drawing some dead animal I saw you know what I'm saying like I think that really stuck with me throughout my, you know, throughout my kind of identity as an artist. And I think that there's just, there's just something beautiful about like grotesque things, like things that you want to look away from. And it's just like, you can find beauty in it. You know what I mean? You can find like something beautiful about like shocking stuff, like in that way, not, you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, I, I see what you mean. Like you said, like we, the thing, it's like, it's kind of like the conversations that we don't want to have or the things that you don't want to talk about, mm-hmm. but like grotesque imagery or like horror movies, mm-hmm. it's like kind of a way to explore that without being directly impacted by it. Like I can watch, mm-hmm. uh, you know, like one of my favorite movies is um, the, the Korean movie, Old Boy. Like I can watch oh, that yeah. mm-hmm. over and over again. You know, mm-hmm. I'll never forget the scene where he, mm-hmm. he pulls the guy's teeth out with a hammer mm-hmm. like do I mm-hmm. want that to happen to me absolutely not <laughs> yeah. but I think just watching that and then mm-hmm. in the context of the movie of like this man who has been just driven mm-hmm. to the brink mm-hmm. making a decision to do something like that yeah mm-hmm. I agree with you it, it's mm-hmm. just like I feel like it's like a way to explore the human condition 
Yeah, yeah. I think that's the I yes, like I think that's just for me the most comfortable or interesting way. That's always been the most interesting way for me to explore that part of like humanity and life, that kind of thing. And yeah, I, I think since you know, I watched a lot of horror movies with my grandma and like you know, at first I didn't really get, you know. <laughs> God, I'm trying to think. Like my grandma and my granddad, like both separately. I I didn't. I don't think they thought that it would stick as much with me as as it ended up being. <laughs> you know what I mean? You you know you're when you're an older person, you're like, uh oh, they saw Jason or whatever. They saw Freddie, and I'm just like, oh shit. They asking me to watch Chucky now, so I guess this is their thing. <laughs> So like, yeah, this this stuff just kind of stuck with me and it carried it carrying into animation, I think was again, like experiencing like adult swim and seeing that there was just like weird and interesting ways to explore that stuff. You know, it really just stuck with me. And um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I, I, every time that I, you know, every time that I do it or explore like, bodies and con- contortion and things like that nature I think it's just it's like the extremes of being a person and just mm. and and using that as a way to try to understand people understand bodies understand like nature and stuff that's 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 what's appealing to me about making grotesque work my final question for you and I guess I'd want you to clarify this as well me being from Baltimore uh, mm-hmm. and like living in this area, I hear a lot about the DMV and people will argue that Baltimore is not a part of the DMV. Um, mm-hmm. Norfolk, Virginia, you know, it's not like Northern Virginia, but it's not like, um, I don't know, like Charlottesville or like Blacksburg right. or something like that. Um, would Norfolk be considered part of the DMV as well? Man, I'll be completely honest with you. I was like, I, and maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's just like, you know, you you hear things and you're like, oh yeah, that's what that means. And you keep hearing it. Yeah. I always thought DMV was DC, Maryland, Virginia. And I'm just like, well, I'm in Virginia. <laughs> like, yeah, you know, exactly. Yeah, like, that's exactly it. what I said. <laughs> like, like am I, is it doesn't mean anything else. Is it something I'm missing? Like, you know. <laughs> so like, yeah, I mean, why not? Like I I definitely think it does because at least in my personal experience, I know a lot of people that I know that are from Norfolk also vibe with a lot of people that are from Richmond who vibe a lot with people that are from DC who vibe a lot with people that are from Baltimore. And I think, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know. I think it's something about being in that the DMV is in this like weird kind of like in between of the big, you know, of the big two sides of the the East Coast. There's the there's the New England area and then there's the dirty South kind of stuff. You know what I'm saying? But like yeah. we're in this weird in between where it's just like we're southern, but also we're like definitely a coastal town and stuff because we've got the bay and everything. So like you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. We're, absolutely we're in this interesting intersection between the the two big <laughs> big areas. Yeah. Well, my co- my final question for you, as somebody who works in media and you've had those opportunities to work with very big mm-hmm. household names, do you think that the DMV has a potential to become another cultural epicenter the way New York and L.A. are? Mm. 
well, if there ever ever was a time for that to kind of grow or the 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 knowledge of this area artistically to grow, it's definitely now. I think <laughs> you got the you got your you know Pixar and stuff. You got where the big studios are, but like I feel like the idea of that kind of stuff, at least in like my circles, are like kind of becoming fuzzy. You know what I'm saying? Like. Mm-hmm. it's the culture of like what an, a New York studio and what an LA studio is, it's definitely still there, but like we're in these times where it's just like you get, you find who can work, who can do the work, you find whose work is good and you kind of get those people. So I definitely think the first of all, it's like, I know so many heavy hitters I know are from, are from the DMV, you know what I'm saying? Huge people that make, that that have huge impact are from the DMV, you know what I'm saying? Like, mm-hmm. not to name drop friends, but like Richie Pope, Richie Pope, like kind of stuff. They like hit Chris Kendrick and like Shannon Wright kind of stuff. Like I know so many like heavy hitters that are from this area kind of thing, you know what I mean? So like, we know, you know what I'm saying? And in terms of it kind of, reaching other people um I definitely I I, it's one of the things was just like I want us to be seen because we definitely out here but like okay I'm like I don't want to get too big head about stuff but like no no go (laughs) but like New York and LA are seen as these big things because because like elite rich white or what are all of the above or whatever deem it to be that way kind of thing right? right like that's that that's what like quote unquote makes these places that which we know is not true you know what i'm saying we know where the the stuff is coming from we know where the talent stuff is coming from mm-hmm. so it's it's difficult like you're you're battling like knowing that you know you're battling knowing that these areas are already like very culturally significant and then getting into the 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 popular sphere and like wider whiter spaces like becoming aware of your stuff and like what impact that has on that stuff you know i, I don't know I'm, I'm getting all over the place now <laughs> no i got you i but i agree with you or i'll mm-hmm. say I think mm-hmm. that we do have the potential to become another mm-hmm. cultural epicenter. We mm-hmm. just need to present ourselves to the rest of the nation as like a united front. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was like a big debate. Like, just like, oh, where are you from, Charlotte? Or where are you from? Um, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, you from uh, Richmond? Or where are you from, Baltimore? Yeah, DMV. <laughs> I didn't know. I didn't even know it was like a fucking, there was like debate on there. I'm not even a lot to you. Oh yeah, it's a pretty big one. And me being from Baltimore, it's like the mm-hmm. biggest like debate is like Baltimore versus DC. But that's a it's a whole other uh, conversation for another day. Um, mm-hmm. Do you have anything you want to talk about that we haven't already gone over? I think we got most of it. I think, yeah, I think I said the big things. Um, awesome. All right. Well, um, is it Tynesha? Yeah, Tynesha. Tynesha Foreman. Um, Yeah, thank you so much for the opportunity to interview you. Yeah, thanks for having me. That was Tynesha Foreman, Emmy Award-winning digital artist. You can check out more of their art online on Instagram at Nearshot with zero for the O in shot. 
Their website is nearshotarts.com. That O is just a regular O. Also, please don't forget to subscribe, review, and rate five stars for the show to help others find it if you enjoyed it. I'm Jason V, and I'll be back with another episode of Local Color. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.